All right. Good morning, Relentless Church. My name is Raf. I am associate pastor here at Relentless. For those of you who uh, I have never had the pleasure of meeting or, or uh, maybe it's been a while and you haven't seen me in a while, a lot has changed uh, since, since I've been up here. We'll get into that in a, in a second. Um, uh, let me say this because uh, <laughs> I feel it and I, I feel like I'm not the only one. Uh, happy daylight savings to y'all spring, right? How many of y'all are here? I give you so much credit. I'm so encouraged just to see faces in the seats because when my alarm went off, like it was like an attack, like a real full-on spiritual attack this morning, okay? Now, Seth mentioned next week we go to two services, 9 and 11. So here's the good news. Y'all, 10:15 feels like 9:15. Y'all already practiced. You're ready. You're my, you're my first service people next week. You guys, are, you did it. You did it. The, the second service people are still sleeping. They're not even, they didn't get up yet. Uh, but seriously, I'm encouraged to be here with you all, and I'm grateful for you guys. And, and uh, again, as I said last time, um, I, I was here to preach a message. It was, I think it was October, so almost three months ago. A lot has changed for me and my family since then. Uh, we have gone from three kids to five kids, okay, last week. Uh, we had, yeah, y'all can, thank you, I appreciate that. And, and I echo what Seth said, man, thank you so much for uh, the prayers and the meals and just, uh, we moved into a new house a few months ago. Some of y'all helped us move and, and put together furniture, just like our church family was beyond gracious and, and loving, and we're so grateful for each and every one of you through that. So as you can see on the right and left, that's baby Nina, Nina Gloria Gonzalez, 12 days old. Uh, we welcomed her into the world 12 days ago. And then uh, on, on the right in the middle, that beautiful little girl, her name is Penelope. And we became uh, in December, uh, her full-time guardians. It became official and she welcomed her into our family as well. So yeah, we are we're, a lot of things going on in the Gonzalez household. And uh, I share all that to say this, I'm tired y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I am tired. I am tired. I'm, I'm, I'm physically tired, right? Some of y'all know this equation, new baby equals no sleep. That's simple, right? They told us in the hospital, like, oh, when you get home, she'll, uh, she might start cluster feeding. I'm like, oh, cool, you know. Like, I was telling something this morning. I've done this before, but I think I forgot how hard it was. It maybe didn't feel like this back then. But cluster feeding, if you're not familiar, basically means that your baby is the sweetest, most perfect little angel uh, while the sun is up. And then as soon as the sun goes down, right around actually midnight, when it gets really late and you're super tired, she turns into like a, a, a sleep monster. Like just like nobody's sleeping. I'm crying as loud as I can until I get my food and I'm gonna wake up an hour again and cry again and like nonstop until about, you know, 6 a.m. when the sun comes up and then she turns back into that little perfect angel. And so, so no sleep going on at our house. I'm, I'm physically tired. I'm also emotionally tired. Right? I, I told you, man, uh, our family grew uh, and, and it's awesome and it's beautiful in so many ways, but, but you know, it changes the, the dynamics a lot. And so the transition with the new baby, the transition with, uh, with a new uh, little beautiful little girl to come live with us and my three existing kids and everybody's kind of fighting for their attention and their, their territory and, 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 and making sure everybody gets their needs and it's exhausting emotionally, right? I'm tired. I'm tired. And, and, and of course, that bleeds into your spiritual life, okay? And so I find myself, like, I used to get up early and have this routine where, you know, I'd get in the Word and, and, and have my prayer time, my, my quiet time, which is like a thing of the distant past. Quiet time does not exist anymore. But, but, but now I'm, like, nodding asleep. I'm literally falling asleep as I pray. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm nodding, not dozing off as I try to get into my, my Bible app. And, 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 and in this season, I know it's just a season. I know it's not going to last. And so I'm, I'm, I'm okay, right? Right? But, but in this season of exhaustion, worship has been the main thing that's getting me through. 
Worship has been the thing that, that I've been clinging to, kind of like my, my saving grace, okay? Because I know, like I can sense it in myself. I feel my desperate need for God and I actually want to spend time with him. I need and I want to be in his presence. But again, I've struggled to be consistent in my Bible study recently. And, 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 and I've fallen away. I've gotten away from some of the healthy habits that have helped me in my prayer life in the past. But, but worship, man, when I could just put on Spotify and I can, I can put on my playlist and I can, I can sing some of the songs like the ones we just sang and they just, they draw me back into God. They connect me to God and they, they remind me of his, his presence. And that's why I love this series we're in so much. This series we've been in the past few weeks called Behind the Music because it gets right to the heart of worship. If you haven't been with us or, or you missed a week or two, what we've been doing these past few weeks is highlighting the truth behind some of the songs that we sing, okay? Uh, and, 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 and these songs that we sing, um, because they're based on the word of God, are so much more than a song. Okay, they become, it's really more like a call and response. It's a, it's a recentering of our, of our minds, a refocusing of our hearts back on God. Okay, and it's, it's powerful as we cry out to him, as we sing to him, he draws us deeper into his presence and we're able to connect with him on a, on a whole new level. That's what, that's what worship is. That's the power of worship. And I want you to know it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. This is by design. This is how God created us. He created us to worship. And so I want to I wanna show you that uh, for a second. I got a, just a short little video clip that we've used in stu student ministry in the past that really speaks to this. It's actually called the, the Science of Worship, and it's, it's super interesting. So go ahead and check this out for a minute. I'm gonna to try to explain this in the simplest way possible. So scholars and researchers have done tons of study on the brain during worship, like what happens in our minds when we worship and sing to God. When we listen to music, any music, not just worship music, a lot of our brain is really active, especially the areas that process sound. But also your brain is active in your left temporal lobe, that's where language happens. And in the right hemisphere, that's where creativity happens and in your corpus callosum. That's the channel of neuropathways between both hemispheres of your brain. See, there's one level of neuroactivity associated with just listening to music, but there's a whole nother level of activity that happens when it comes to actively participating in or creating together, as we do when we're singing. When you look at what happens in a room full of Christians singing praise music, it's incredibly participatory compared to just being at a concert or listening in your car. Everyone who is singing along is contributing to the environment of the room. And that, that whole, we're all in this together, it amplifies the effects that music has on our thoughts and our awareness. And this comes with lots of benefits. First, an increased capacity to process language. Second, a positive state of mind. Third, a higher sense of self-worth and self-esteem. When we worship together, a room full of brains start to create these neurological patterns that are similar to each other. We see this in a brain scan. As people start to contemplate everything that's happening, the lyrics, the singing, the environment of the room, you start to rise and transcend your focus beyond yourself. You go from thinking about yourself and your needs to your family, to your community, to your city, to your part of the world, to all of humanity, and then ultimately to God. You see, worship steps you into these broader views of reality. This transcendent state is amplified by the music and by everyone doing it together. And because of our social identities, because of the power of music, because of the participation that's happening, it creates such an elevated experience. 
it gives a greater chance for other people to join in and to experience God. So yeah, worship is not just about singing. Worship actually helps us say, it's not about me. Worship unifies us with God and others. Come on, man. Worship is not just about singing. Worship helps us say it's not about me. Worship unifies us with God and others. Anybody believe that this morning? So with that said, let's, let's go behind the music together this morning. All right. Our song for this week, it's one we just sang a few moments ago. It's called Psalm 23. All right. It's written by a uh, collective of, of worship artists uh, uh, known as People in Songs. Uh, and they named it directly after the passage of scripture that it's based off. Okay. And, and, and so we're going to look at the scripture first and then we're going to turn our attention back to the, to the song today. But uh, Psalm 23 is uh, one of the most well-known passages of, of scripture in all the Bible. It's six verses written by King David. Okay. And the focus of, of course is God, but more specifically, uh, it's, it's about his presence, his care, and his provision, okay? And so uh, I'm gonna read the whole thing first uh, and then we'll, then we'll kind of dig into it a little bit. So Psalm 23, starting in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a beautiful passage of scripture right there. And, uh, you know, I, I love this. Uh, I mentioned I love this behind the, behind the music series we're in. I'm a fan uh, of the original VH1 uh, that we kind of ripped this off of, the behind the music series they used to do. My favorite parts of, of, of those uh, were, were the story behind the story. Right, like I, I, I'm, I'm interested in in the people in the band, the relationships and 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 the ins and outs of how they got there and and how they how they did what they did, the events that shaped them, that ultimately led them to the creation of this song or this album or this movie or or whatever this creative expression is that 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 ultimately uh, became so big, so interesting, so important, so uh, catastrophic that people were like, man, we got to tell this story, right? Like, let's make a documentary about this. That's the the stuff that grabs my attention. And, 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 and that's why I chose this song. Okay. Psalm 23, based on this specific passage of scripture, because it was written by uh, one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most interesting and compelling and fascinating people in all the Bible. That's uh, King David. Okay. King David, uh, if, if you're um, not familiar, maybe need a refresher. This is uh, David of David and Goliath. Okay. Uh, just, just some, some context for David's life. He was a, a he was a, a shepherd boy who was uh, anointed by God's prophet to be the next king, the next great king of, of, of Israel. But uh, there was some time in between uh, when he would take the throne and when he was actually anointed. And so in that time, again, he, he, uh, he became a great warrior. That all started with uh, him taking down Goliath, the, the Philistine giant uh, who, who was um, ready to destroy the entire army of the, the nation of Israel. So, so David, of course, takes his slingshot and stone and just takes him out with one shot. After that, he goes on to become uh, uh, one of the greatest warriors uh, in, in Israel, okay? He, he starts to become famous. His, he, his name starts to ring out, and, and, and he becomes more and more popular. He becomes a hero for the people. Uh, he was also a talented worship leader, okay? Scripture tells us that David was renowned for his playing of the harp, 
Okay, um, the the king, uh, the current king at the time, Saul. It is said that when he was um, when he was feeling distraught, when he was feeling depressed or down or spiritually attacked, he would send for David, and David would come and play the harp for him, and that that would that would restore him, that that would that would like lift him up and put him in a better mood. And so um, that's 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 right there from scripture. David was a worship leader. Okay, uh, he also wrote uh, much of uh, probably the majority of the the book of Psalms, uh, which is uh, of course a uh, hundred and some odd chapters. Of, of, of poetry and, and songs right there in the Old Testament. And so um, David was a multifaceted, multi-talented man. Um, and, and Saul, again, the current king, deemed him a threat. Ultimately, uh, David got too popular, got too famous, and Saul got jealous and tried to kill him. And so David has to flee. He, he, he starts living on the run. He's living in caves and, and, and in small towns and, and, and just uh, trying to kind of bide his time until, until he can step into the promise that God made him to become king. And ultimately that happens. Saul and his son are both killed in battle and David takes the, the throne. Okay, and what would, what would follow is 30 or 40 years of, of, of some of the greatest prosperity that the nation of Israel had ever seen. He's known as one of the greatest kings, one of the most powerful kings of all time. Okay, won countless battles, expanded his kingdom, okay, immensely, and he had wealth beyond measure. And all the while, he's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Okay, so, so this is King David. This is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit who authored Psalm 23, right? So, so with that context, let's, let's jump back in. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, most scholars believe David wrote this Psalm later on in his life, well after he was king, okay? Um, and and he's, looking, he's looking back upon the days when he was a shepherd, Remember, he was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of, I think it was, I don't remember if it was five or six sons, but he was the one who was tasked with living out in the fields with the shepherd, I mean, with the, with the sheep, okay? Protecting them, watching, watching over them, okay? And so he knows what the life of a shepherd is. He, he knows what it is to, to care for um, uh, and live with and eat and sleep in the fields with, with sheep. Now, why would he have to do that? Because he had to protect them from predators. Literally, David fought a lion to protect his, his sheep because that was his livelihood. That was his family's livelihood. He would do whatever he had to, to to protect them. And so David has this experience. Now, a shepherd wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't a job that people aspired to. It wasn't something that people wanted to be. It was kind of uh, thrust upon you. And so here's David, again, the king of kings in his day, remembering, I would say fondly, his days as a, as a shepherd, okay? Um, now, I just imagine, again, this was a psalm that would have been read in the temple. I imagine David kind of reciting this to the people and saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And someone going, hey, did you know David was a shepherd? And it's like, no way. Was he a shepherd? My cousin's a shepherd. Like, people relate to that. They're like, oh, man, like, I get it. He knows what he's talking about, right? The Lord is, I don't know if you guys have any experience with sheep at all. Um, I, I don't know any shepherds. I do have my own personal sheep story. <laughs> I'll share it with you all. Uh, when when uh, my wife and I first got married, we moved to Kentucky where her family lived at the time and her parents uh, ha- actually had a small sheep farm. Okay. They had probably a couple dozen sheep, uh, you know, a couple cows and some goats and a whole bunch of other stuff. But, but the sheep were like the main thing. Okay. And one day uh, they went out of town kind of for the night and, and they left um, my wife, Misty's grandmother, who she calls Mimi, they left Mimi there to kind of just watch over the farm while they were gone. It was just going to be 24 hours or, or so. Um, and so I get a call. Mimi went down to feed the sheep and she couldn't get the gate closed and the sheep got out and she didn't know what to do. And the sheep are running around everywhere and she needs help. 
And I'm like, wow, she needs help. <laughs> like, no, that means you. Like me, like I'm from I'm Boston. What am I going to do with sheep on a farm? What are you talking about? I got to go help Mimi though. She's 75 years old and I love her. I got to go help her. So I drive, I get my car, I drive over to the farm and poor Mimi's like, first of all, they have like a hundred dogs. Okay. And they're all useless. Okay. They got these big, great Pyrenees. Apparently they like bark and keep predators away. Okay, fine. I'll buy that. But they got a, it's in the name, Shepherd. They have an Australian Shepherd, okay, who does nothing. He chased me around the whole time. I'm like, isn't this your job to like get these, so I'm literally running around grabbing sheep one by one, trying to drag them into this. They don't want to come with me. They don't want to follow. They don't know what they're doing. I'm like, this is, this is crazy, right? And so then I go back and I read my Bible and I'm like, oh, I get it, right? The Lord is my shepherd, right? Sheep, here's, here's what I know about sheep, unfortunately, okay? It's not flattering for us, but just humble yourself. Okay, I had to do it. David did it. Okay, sheep are dumb. They're not smart animals. They don't know how to take care of themselves. They get frightened really, really easily and they run away. And as a result, they tend to get lost and they constantly find themselves in trouble. Okay, which is why they need constant companionship. That's why when David says, The Lord is my shepherd, it's such a powerful image. It's powerful because, A, again, that humility I just talked about. This is, the, this is King David, the most powerful man in his day. Had anything he wanted, okay, when he wanted it. And yet here he is referring to himself as a sheep. As a sheep. Dependent on a shepherd. It's also a powerful image because it also illustrates for us the close and constant presence of God with his people. He's always there. You're not alone. He's a shepherd. And the shepherd never leaves his sheep alone. Okay, David knew this in a personal sense, on a personal level. Again, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It wasn't just that the Lord is a shepherd, a great shepherd in the theoretical sense. He's their shepherd, right? He's a, he, he, he's, he's a shepherd. No, he's, he's my shepherd. He was and always has been a very real and personal shepherd for David himself. The Lord is my shepherd. He watches over me. He cares for me. He protects me. He provides for, for me. And he walks with me. Then he goes on to say, I shall not want. I shall not want, which is both a declaration and a decision. Okay, this is, this is a declaration. This is David saying, hey, I shall not want, meaning God will provide. I believe and I trust. I put my faith and my trust in the Lord that he will provide for me everything I need. It's a declaration. I believe that in faith and I trust it. And I won't waver from that. It's also, it's also a, 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 a decision. He's deciding. I, I'm not going to want anything the Lord doesn't say I need. I'm not going to desire. I'm not going to chase after. I'm not going to lust after. I'm not going to spend my life pining for things that God doesn't say I need. I shall not want. I trust God, my faith is in him, and I know he's got me, and I'm not going to go chasing something else because I trust him. I shall not want, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Again, the implication here is that the sheep doesn't know what it needs or what is best for itself. And so it needs the shepherd to, to guide him. It needs help from the shepherd. I think so oftentimes in life we want to get ahead of ourselves. Right? We, we want the answers. We want to know the destination so we can run out and get there ahead. God, give me the map and I'll just get there on my own. Right? We, want to, we want to run ahead. But the sheep don't know where the green pastures are. The sheep don't know how to get to the watering hole. Okay? And, and they don't need to. All they need to know is where the shepherd is. And they stick by his side and he guides them and he leads them. 
Verse three, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That phrase, uh, restores my soul, in the Hebrew, uh, it can be translated as brings me to repentance. Brings me to repentance. To repent means to turn away, to turn your back on your sin and turn back towards God. Okay, and, and so what this verse is acknowledging here is it, it, David's addressing the fallen, the fallen nature, right? Our human condition, our sinful, our sinful nature. We all need restoring. The Apostle Paul said in Romans, man, there is no one righteous, not even one. We all need to be restored. And no one understood this better than David himself. Okay, I gave you kind of the highlights of David's life, but I left out some of the lowlights. I think Seth might have um, alluded to one from Psalm chapter 51, but there's a pretty famous story where, where King David um, is looking out uh, of his palace and sees a woman and he lusts after her. Her name is Bathsheba. He sends for her, has her brought to him. He ends up sleeping with her and she gets pregnant. Well, it turns out she has a husband named Uriah who was a, a, a soldier in David's army. And so in order to kind of clean up his mess, David has uh, Uriah sent to the front lines of the war and, and he gets killed and David ends up marrying Bathsheba. Okay, uh, needless to say, uh, that, that didn't end up well for him. The, the uh, prophet Nathan, God's prophet, comes to visit David and basically calls him out for his, his sin. And, and um, he tells him, look, just so you know, because of your actions, the sword will never fall from your house. And what he, what he meant was for the rest of his life, for the rest of his legacy, um, David's uh, family, his his, his um literally his household, like he was going to, he had sons fighting, warring against sons. He had one of his sons trying to kill him to take his throne. Like it was, it was nonstop, just drama and a mess. That was a result. It wasn't a necessarily exact punishment from God, but just a result of the consequences of his sin. Also the child that, that uh, he and Bathsheba had together died. And that led David to write Psalm 51. This, this just amazing, beautiful, um, raw, real, emotional song where he cries out to God in the face of his sin and says, Lord, please don't turn your face from me. Don't turn your back on me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Create in me a clean heart. Restore me. Make me clean, right? It's this acknowledgement, this humility of I need you, Lord. I can't do this and I messed up, but I know you're good and I know your love is real and your mercy is real and I'm coming to you saying, Lord, please save me. And of course God does. He restores him. And so for David to say, restores my soul, like it's personal, it's real. This is testimony. This is who God is. He restores my soul. No one understood this better than David. It's an acknowledgement and it's an acceptance of our need for a savior. Okay, that's motivated by God, by his, the Holy Spirit in us convicts us and, 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 and uh, calls us to repent. And when you feel that, when we, when, we, when we do, when we turn our back again on ourselves, on our sin and turn back towards God, okay, in fellowship and in obedience and in worship, he can and he will restore us. He will restore us. And this is a picture, it's a beautiful picture of biblical salvation that David is previewing for us. Ultimately, what Jesus is gonna do for all of us when he goes to the cross and when he would rise three days later. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Now, this is the first kind of dark note in this beautiful psalm from David, because up to this point, he's been writing about green pastures and still waters and, and, and passive righteousness. But it's important to understand, okay, for all of us, that even when you're following the Lord as shepherd, we still may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? And that valley, man, it can mean something different for all of us, but basically it represents many of the dark, fearful experiences that, that we can and will encounter in this life. And just looking across this room and thinking about my own life, like, again, we, we could sit here all day talking about what, what those stories are, what those valleys are for each of us, but we all have them, right? And they're very real and they're, and they're scary and they're... And, 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 um, Whatever they're based off of, trauma from our past, uh, abuse, addiction, sin, um, uh, just financial ruin or, or, or the loss of a loved one or sickness, right? It's just we could go on and on and on. And I, uh, God's kind of brought me to, um, as I've been thinking through this, we, we focus a lot on the local church because we are a local church. And, and so that makes sense. But, but every now and then, God kind of reminds me of the global. And, and obviously, with everything going on in our world right now, when I think about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and what's going on over there, Right, I, I just I read this psalm and it takes on a whole new meaning, right? Because the valley, the shadow of death, is is very real, and 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 and, and there is some evil. The evil of war is like no other, right? And so, um, man, just just think about what those people are experiencing, and 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 I think about uh, what what David experienced, because again, he understands this better than anyone, personally, and on a and on a grander scale. Right? He, he lost a child. He came face to face with his own sin and the consequences of it. He, he, was, he, he was a shepherd who literally fought a lion to save his own life and to save his sheep. He was in battle and, 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 and was under the sword and, and almost lost his life many times. He knows what it is to send men into battle and, and lose them okay, for, for a greater cause. Like there is, no, there is no experience here in the valley of the shadow of death that David does not relate to. Okay? And he says, despite all of those things, I shall not fear. Why? Because the Lord is with me. Because you are with me, he says. You're with me. I'm not alone. I, 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 I want to I highlight just a couple of the words that he uses here, okay? He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through, David recognizes that while he may be walking through a valley, that valley is not his destination. That valley is not his home. He's not, he's not stuck in the valley. He's not walking around in the valley wondering how he's going to get out of there. He's, he's not lost in the valley. He's going through the valley, and he's got a clear destination that's on the glory, God's glory on the other side. Okay, he's going through the valley. That's important to, to notice. It's important to remind ourselves, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm just passing through. I does not, that does not negate or belittle or, or lessen the the. the the real pain or hardness that, that some of you may be walking through, that I've walked through in my life, but, but it is encouraging and it's hopeful and it's important that we understand that that is not forever. That's, this is not our home. We're walking through. We're walking through. The reason we know we're going to get through, the reason we know we get to the other side, the reason David has confidence, again, is because we're not alone. God's presence does not eliminate the presence of evil in the world. I wish it did. I wish it did, but it doesn't this side of heaven. It does, however, enable us to overcome the fear of evil. It does set us free from, from being slaves to, to the fear that, that 
keeps us stuck and, 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 and afraid and, and just unable to, to move forward with God. Notice how David switches from the third person to the second person here. Right At first it was, it was, you're with me, your rod, your staff, you comfort me. And then all of a sudden things get scary and David starts talking directly to God, right? No, no, it was, it was he leads me, he restores me, right? He restores my soul. And then, and then all of a sudden things get scary and he's like, no, you're with me, God, you're here. He starts talking directly to God, okay? I think that's a model we can learn something from. He's right here, talk to God when things get scary. You can talk to him before they get scary, okay? But, but, but that's not an accident. Despite every dark association with the idea of the valley of the shadow of death, David could say confidently, from his heart, I fear no evil because he was under the care of the Lord, his shepherd. Even in the most fearful place, the presence of God banishes the fear of evil. Another word I wanted to highlight there was shadow. Shadow. Right? It's, it's not just the valley of death, it's the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know if you've ever, um, this is a little bit embarrassing, but I'm not like, I'm not like one of those you know, they, there's like this saying, um, he's afraid of his own shadow. Like, that's not me, but I have been startled by my shadow once or twice. <laughs> like, you ever just, the light hits it the right way and you're in a weird place or just like, like I just see it and I'm like, whoa, oh, that was me, right? <laughs> like, oh man, I, am I the only one who's ever done that? I was, I was scared by my own shadow. So the point is this though, shadows are much bigger and darker than the actual objects that create them, right? And, and, and they're not as scary once you realize it's just a shadow. Okay, and so, so when David says this, uh, you know, the valley of the shadow of death, this line becomes especially powerful when we read it with Psalm, uh, when we read Psalm 23 with an eye towards Jesus. When we read this through the, through the lens of Jesus Christ and his, his uh, sacrificial life, his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. Okay, why? Because we understand, again, a shadow in and of itself is not tangible, but cast by something else that is right? So as Christians, we can honestly say that we only face the shadow of death. Why? Because Jesus took the full reality of death in our place. He took it in our place when he went to the cross for us. Now death has no sting. Now death has no power over us. Now we do not need to fear because Jesus defeated it on the cross. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, death in its substance has been removed and the only shadow, and only the shadow of it remains. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. Come on, that's worth celebrating, y'all. That's worth celebrating. That's worth singing about. And that's why David wrote this song. That's why he wrote this song of worship called Psalm 23. And he wraps it up in the last two verses, sticking with the previous picture of the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, he also makes a transition from his depiction of God as a, as a shepherd and as a guide to one of a uh, benevolent host. Verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David paints this beautiful picture of a, of a table 
which suggests bounty. Okay, y'all know if you've been around here, I love to eat. I love like to use food metaphors with, with scripture and I feel like it's all over there. But this is God talking about blessing his, blessing his people. David saying, hey, he blessed me in the presence of my enemies. He, he, a table that, that was full of like the choicest, most delicious foods you can ever imagine. Anything you could ever want to drink, right? God just says, here you go. It's right here for you. He, he, he prepares a table before me. Prepare suggests that, that, that the Lord had some foresight, that there was some planning and some thought and some care that went into this. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. You didn't surprise him, man. He was expecting you and he's got all your favorite foods and he's sitting right there at the table. He prepares a table before me, okay, which, which again implies the personal nature of God. He's right there with him. They sit down at the table together. It's the most intimate meal you can ever imagine, you and God right there in the middle of the valley. He's blessing him. He's caring for him. He's providing for him, not just in the distant future one day, not just with the hope of heaven one day, just hold on till you get there. No, here and now, in the presence of my enemies, he's anointing me. My cup's overflowing. God's goodness can be realized here and now, despite our circumstance. And then, then he turns his attention towards the future. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David just, he ends this Psalm in the, the just the calmest, most confident assurance, a declaration that he will in fact enjoy the presence of the Lord forever, forever, both in the days he has left on this earth and beyond. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Y'all, that's why the song sings, mercy and goodness, give me assurance that I'll see his glory face to face. That's a promise from God. That's a promise from God. His mercy, his goodness, he's relentless. He relentlessly pursues us with his love and with his grace, both here and now and for eternity. The chorus, hallelujah, I'm not alone. I'm not alone on my best days, on my worst days. No matter what I'm walking through, no matter where I go, no matter how, how well I'm doing, or how much I obey, or how, how much I, I feel like I'm disappointing. I'm not alone. He's my comfort. Always holds me close. Even when I try to run, he's there. He's there. What we're doing when we sing these songs, right? We're, we're, this one specifically, we're taking David's words from scripture and we're singing them back to God through the lens of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross. That's the heart of this song. That's the heart of Psalm 23. And it was the heart of, of David's song thousands of years ago. I'm not alone. God's with me. He's with me on the mountaintop. He's with me in the valley. He's with me on my best day. He's with me on my worst day. He's with me when I had nothing. And he's with me when I thought I had everything. And there hasn't been a day that I did not desperately need God. And there's never been a moment that he has not been by my side. And because of his presence, because of his son Jesus, because of his spirit that now lives in me, I can walk confidently through this life without fear, 
full of hope, full of peace. And I can worship him. I worship him in victory. I worship him from victory. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to make their way back up here to lead us in that song one more time. As they do, I, I just I want to highlight one more verse from the song. It's uh, the, the bridge that says, Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me, my victory. My victory. I love this. I keep coming back to this part of the song this week because um, for the most part, every word of the song is ripped right from scripture, which is amazing, right? But these, this bridge is the only part that really isn't. Now it is from scripture and it's truthful, okay? But it seems like this is where they took a little artistic liberty and were like, hey, this is what it means to me. Here's what Jesus means. Here's what God means to me. Here's what, what he accomplished for me. And I'm going to sing it back to him. His spirit lives within me. Last night I was putting my kids to bed and, and, uh, and my two uh, in, the, in the middle, RJ and Gigi, they share a bedroom and they couldn't, uh, you know, they're both, sometimes I don't really believe them, but I humored them last night. They're like, I'm scared, I'm scared, daddy, I'm scared. Like, I can't sleep, I want the light on. Went through the whole thing. And so we do our prayers and, we, and, and, and I remind them, you know, hey, this is a promise from God. He's with you. He's always, what do you mean he's with me? How is he with me? How can he be with me and with you and with you? We start going, it ends up being this long theological, like I didn't think they were gonna have all these questions. It's like 8.30, I'm trying to go to bed. What do you guys, stop asking me these deep questions. So I start explaining to them the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, God's Spirit's with you. When Jesus left, he said, I got it, it's better for you that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's here, he's with me. I'm like, yeah, he's with you. He's with you. No matter where you go, what you do, he's with you. My son is like, Dad, I feel something in my tummy. <laughs> I was like, that might be him. <laughs> I think it's the spirit. <laughs> He's telling you to go to sleep. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I just, I want them to understand. There's not a moment God's not by your side. And that'll change. It may not change the circumstance, but it will change the way you walk through it. That's what David is, is, is trying to get to us. That's what I think God wants us to understand as we, as we return to him and worship this morning. I pray that Psalm 23 hits you a little bit differently. Let's worship together.